How many of you know the term FOMO? No hands? Like, like four? FOMO? Everyone's here? Okay, most people have heard of this term. It uh, stands for fear of missing out. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. FOMO. And this was something that was became popular in 2004. There was this person um, at Harvard that wrote an article. I can't remember the magazine. But they wrote about it, about this sense that people have that they're like missing out, that there's something going on uh, that they're missing out on wherever they are. Uh, it's like, well, I'm doing this thing. You know, we're all sitting here. But it's like, what are we missing out on because we're here? And sometimes in business terms, that's called opportunity cost. If you take this opportunity, what opportunities are now left closed to you? But fear of missing out uh, is, has become really difficult with social media because other people's lives are just published for us to see and are easily accessible. So we can be sitting, having an awesome dinner, or having an awesome party, or just have, you know, being with people that we really love, and looking at our phones and seeing all the things that we're missing out on. Like, oh, this friend is at this birthday party. Oh, this friend is on a cruise. Oh, this person is at this new restaurant trying it out. And it's like, man, I'm missing out on all those things. Like, sure, I'm here uh, doing this thing, and it's okay, it's great, uh, but I'm missing out on so many things that other people are doing. And so we can just have this sense of my life is kind of falling short. Like, there's so many things that I'm not getting to do, so many things I'm missing out on. That a, a conversation, TV show, a wedding, party, new restaurant, friends, just things we feel like we're missing out on. And as we're going through the Gospel according to Luke, uh, this is something that actually Jesus taps into a lot with the people he's talking to. In this section of uh, the Gospel according to Luke, uh, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, chapters 9 through 19. It's this trip that is lots of you know, teachings and stuff recorded in it, um, that he's going to Jerusalem to die. Uh, he's maybe taking a week. It'd take a week if he went straight there, but it seems like he's stopping a lot of places along the way. He's sending his disciples out ahead of him, telling them, hey, the kingdom of God is coming, and he, they're preparing the way. And he goes to these towns, and he teaches people, or eats at people's houses who invite him over. But he's spending this week or two going to Jerusalem with all the other people that have been going to Jerusalem for uh, the pilgrimage of Passover, one of the three feasts each year that people of Israel would go to Jerusalem for if they could. And so all these other people are going with him. And there's a crowd of people that are uh, kind of maybe interested in Jesus, have heard about him, maybe been healed by him. And there's also critics within that crowd that there's people that don't like what he's doing. They ask him questions. They try to trap him in his words. But then there's people who are committed to him, disciples who have said, yeah, this is you know what I'm about. I'm going to follow this guy to the end. And so he's heading there. And the way uh, what he keeps teaching people is God's kingdom is coming. Turn to God before it's too late. God's kingdom is coming, turn to God before it's too late. Or use the word repent. Turn from your life you're living now, your life of you being on the throne, and turn to God and put him on the throne. God's kingdom is coming. Kingdom means there's a king. And God's kingdom means God is king. And Jesus has that, the king whom God has sent. And so it's like you've got to get right with God. You need to turn. And if you're going to be part of this kingdom, you've got to be loyal to the king. Pledge your allegiance to him. Surrender to him. And in this scene that we're going into, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1, we find Jesus at a dinner party. Uh, he's having dinner with some religious leaders. And uh, there's a four, it's like a four-part conversation. And it's all leading to uh, the last part of the conversation that ties it all together. And so this question that he asks in these four parts of this conversation are, who is the kingdom of God for? Who is the kingdom of God for? Who's going to benefit from it? Who's going to be in it? Who's the kingdom of God for? And who is it not for? And Jesus warns the people he's uh, talking to that they are in danger of missing out on God's kingdom. That he's kind of 
maybe it's not FOMO that he's giving them, but there's this missing out. Like, you guys should be concerned about what you're doing because you are missing out on God's kingdom and what God is inviting them to. And so I just want to give this question for you to just think about, and maybe it's not a question you often think about, is uh, are you saying yes to God's invitations to you? Are you, and just not for you to answer out loud, but just think about it. Are you saying yes to God's invitations to you? Are you hearing what God's inviting you to? And are you saying yes to it? Or are you just kind of like, I've got too many other things going on. Are you saying yes to God's invitations to you? So Luke chapter 14, verse 1, we read, One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And so the scene for this, the setting, is a Sabbath dinner. And if you're not familiar with the Sabbath, it's very important for the people of Israel. It's very important in the Bible uh, that God, we're told in Genesis chapter 1, God created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And then God blesses the seventh day and calls it holy. And then when God is freeing his people from slavery in Egypt, he says, because I rested on the seventh day, you're going to work six days. And the seventh day, you're going to rest. You're going to trust me. You're going to trust that I can take care of you even if you're not working. And so in one passage he grounds it in creation i created the world in six days the seventh day i rested therefore you should work six days and rest on the seventh day there's another passage where he grounds it uh the foundation of it is for their redemption that they're in slavery in egypt just you know getting worked hard by difficult slave masters and then they get brought out and god says you're no longer slaves in egypt you're no longer slaves you are free and so six days you'll work and the seventh day that you will rest. You don't have to work like slaves all the time, like you have this difficult taskmaster. And so, God, that's what the Sabbath is. And so, uh, the Jewish people, they still do. They, it, it starts on Friday at uh, dinner and goes to Saturday at dinner for the Jewish people. And so, they work very hard on Friday. They've got to get everything prepared, get all the chores done, get all the food prepped. And so, that from uh, the evening of Friday to the evening of Saturday, it's rest. We stop our work. And we rest. We don't do any work. And there were serious consequences in the Bible for people working on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders defined very carefully what counts as work. You cannot work on the Sabbath, but what counts as work? And so they figured out uh, these are the things that count as work. These are the things you cannot do. And so Jesus is at this Sabbath dinner, and the leaders are watching him carefully. And they've come to expect Jesus to do something controversial on the Sabbath. Like it happens over and over again that Jesus uh, challenges, he doesn't break the God's law in the Old Testament, but he challenges how the people of that day were practicing the Sabbath, that they had all these ways that they, they defined what work is, and Jesus is trying to kind of sprit, uncover the true Sabbath out of that big old pile they put on things. And so Jesus does things that they can t- consider work. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, uh, Jesus' disciples are picking grain which would be considered harvesting, which is work, and they get criticized by the religious leaders. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand, you know, like kind of a dried up hand. I don't know, there's a condition, it's called something. Um, but he heals this guy on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees and the le- religious leaders are like, you can't do that on the Sabbath, you can't be healing people. And then uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, he heals a disabled, bent over woman, and he gets uh, criticized for it. Like, you can't heal on the Sabbath. That is work. Do your work the other six days of the week. On the seventh day, it's no work. And so, we here in verse 2. They're having this dinner. The religious leaders, the, his hosts, are watching him carefully. 
And verse 2 says, And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And I had to look up what dropsy means. It's an old, uh, it's kind of an old school term for what's com- today called uh, edema, or edema, edema, I think it's edema. Uh, and it's this swelling that's caused by too much fluid trapped in the body's tissues. And you're likely to see it in the legs and the feet. And the swelling gets more and more painful over time. People have trouble walking. Uh, they're stiff. Uh, they have stretched skin. It can itch. There's risk of like ulcers and infections, and there's less blood flow. So there's, there's problems with this. And you can tell this person has swollen uh, tissue that their skin is in pain. Maybe they're walking stiffly, uh, having issues moving around. And, but you can also see like this is just a painful. So he sees this person who has edema or dropsy. In verse 3, it says, And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And I find it interesting that it says Jesus responded to them. Like, they haven't said anything. What's happening is they're watching him closely. And so he responds to how they're watching him carefully to see what he's going to do. There's this guy that needs healing. We've come to expect Jesus to not follow the rules. Is he going to heal this guy? And Jesus responds to that with a question, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And he asked a similar question in chapter 6, verse 9. He said, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And he's asking this because healing is considered work. Back in chapter 13, verse 14, uh, uh, he heals somebody, and then the ruler of that synagogue is indignant in verse, chapter 13, verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which to work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And so healing was considered work. And so Jesus is saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or not? And they don't answer him. And so then he heals them. And what happens is uh, Jesus is saying healing and doing good on the Sabbath is allowed. That's not work that's off limits. You can do good and you can heal people. And Jesus is pointing out uh, their hypocrisy and their misunderstanding of the Sabbath because he says, um, but they remained silent. And then he took and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. So he's saying, look, if your kid fell into a well or if your ox or you know whatever it is falls down, you're going to pull it out. You're not going to leave it there to die. And so you're doing good on the Sabbath. You're bringing healing to someone that, to, or something that is in danger. So he's saying, look, you guys are hypocrites. You're doing this on the Sabbath, but you don't think healing this guy should be allowed. And so Jesus uh, heals. And so we're just going to ask this question four different times. How can we miss out on what God is inviting you to? You know, basically, he's telling them, this is how to miss out on what God is inviting you to. And the first way we miss out on what God is inviting us to is we choose rules over helping. We choose rules over helping. And we tell ourselves, or we say to someone else, here's why I can't help you. And what they would be saying to this guy with dropsy, like, I see you're in pain, you're in trouble walking, like, this must be terrible, but here's why I can't help you. It's the Sabbath, and so that's work, and so I can't help you on the Sabbath. And rules, we like rules. Rules, maybe you even say, like, rules, yuck. Why are they focusing on rules? We all like rules. Uh, I think we like the laws in our country. I think we, when we're uh, students in school, I think we like rules that allow us to have an organized environment where we can uh, actually learn. And rules keep life a certain way, ordered, neat, 
tidy, planned, scheduled, controlled, stable. But if we're so focused on having a neat life that we've constructed for ourselves with all these rules about how we want it to work, we're at risk of missing out on what God wants to do for us and what he wants to do through us. And here Jesus is like, God wants to do healing. He wants to do miracles. And you don't want to see it because it's happening on the wrong day of the week. And you're defining things that are good and helping people as that is work that is outlawed. And so, and we don't like interruptions either, do we? We don't like our schedule getting interrupted. Interrupted. We like life to go a certain way where we want to show up, wake up in the morning and expect things to be how they are, come home at night, have an expectation of how things should be. We like rules. We like life to be orderly. But we can let those, that type of order and those types of rules that we kind of make up for ourselves uh, to be what keeps us from actually seeing God work, of seeing God's invitations to either be healed uh, or to see healing in somebody else's life. And so we can let rules kind of box us in and box God in. Second part of the conversation, verses 7 through 11. Verse 7 says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. And so they're watching Jesus carefully, but now we see that Jesus is watching them because he notices how they're choosing the places of honor at the dinner table. Uh, And then he tells a parable, starting in verse 8. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And so basically, somebody comes in, takes the best seat, that they're you know, like, oh, I'm going to get by the head of the table, or I'm going to get the seat with the best view. You know, maybe think of a sporting event where it's like, I'm going to sit down you know, in the seat's really close, or I'm going to sneak into this play you know, down in Chicago, maybe you're watching a musical or in the opera house, and you're like, I'm going to sit at the front, even though that's not really where you usually would sit or where you have your seats for. And the risk here is, like, that seat is reserved. Um, please move. And then you take the walk of shame. Like, oh, I guess I'll go back to my nosebleeder sheets. You're like, okay, um, I'm gonna, this isn't where I'm supposed to sit. And this, Jesus says, don't take the highest seat so that your host comes and says, this seat is reserved. It's not yours. Please go sit back there. Um, He says, take the lowest seat so that when the host comes, they might bring you up to a better seat. And his lesson here is don't exalt yourself. Verse 11 says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so he's saying, don't seek to exalt yourself. Don't seek after honor, respect, status, appreciation. He says, instead, humble yourself. Don't seek after those things. And God, in the end, will exalt you. And this is a huge theme in the Bible and it's a huge theme in Luke. Like if you wanted to sum up one, like almost the whole message of the Bible, it, or maybe it is, is this. Uh, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's like the whole Bible. Like God is saying, humble yourself before me. Be dependent on me. Trust me. Surrender to me. Humble yourself before me, and I'll do the work of exalting you. Um, but if you're going to be prideful, if you're going to try to exalt yourself, if you're going to try to Um, just be powerful and get respect and appreciation and honor. If that's what you're worried about, in the end you're going to be humbled. And so God, Jesus is saying, humble yourselves. And in in Luke we see uh, chapter 18, verse 14. It's going to repeat the exact same uh, saying we see here. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and you who humbles himself will be exalted. Then even if we look back 
Um, at uh, chapter, uh, actually it was last week's passage, chapter 13, verse 30, where Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last. It's this reversal that comes about that this God's kingdom is coming and those who are humbled, those who are last, are going to be exalted into that kingdom and they're going to be first. While though all those who weren't humble, who exalted themselves, who made themselves first, they're going to be uh, humbled and won't be part of this kingdom. And so... How do you miss out on what God is inviting you to? The second way is we choose pride over humility. We choose pride over humility. We're very focused on what others think of us, others' opinion of us. We fight for position, respect, honor. And we're so worried about what others think of us uh, that we miss out on what God wants to do to us. Notice what Jesus is saying is that uh, humble yourself and then who's going to exalt you? God himself is going to exalt you. I'll do it. Don't worry about exalting yourself. I'll do it. Just humble yourself and follow me and trust me. And we can relate to this desire for people to think well of us, to be concerned about people's opinions of us. Um, Because how often does someone else's opinion of you ruin your day or maybe ruin your week? How often are we irritated when we aren't appreciated? How often are we scared someone doesn't like us, so we don't like how someone talked to us, how they could be so disrespectful um, and uh, not kind to us. I love this quote um, from a book called Humility by Andrew Murray. He said, Just as water ever seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds the creature based and empty, will his glory and power flow in to exalt and to bless. He that humbleth himself That must be our one care. Shall we be exalted? That is God's care. By his mighty power and in his great love, he will do it. So he says, you know, water always goes to the lowest place. So he's saying, bow down, get low, humble yourself before God. And that's where his power and his love and his glory and his grace flow to. He says, you you just focus on your job, humbling yourself. Let God do his job of exalting you. We need to be like that low place that God... uh, presence flows to. Third part of the passage, verses 12 through 14. Jesus turns to his host. It says, verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him, and so he's like, uh, let me give you a little lesson. Like, while, while we're on the topic of, you know, um, me telling you guys kind of how you're missing out on things, let me tell you, uh, talk to my host, which this would kind of feel insulting, wouldn't it? Like, you invited me here, but guess what? You, I want to tell you uh, give you some advice on your next dinner party. So verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so let me give you some advice on who to invite to your next dinner party. Uh, talking to his host, uh, invite people who can't repay you in some way, people who can't return the favor. Like, I'll, have you, I'll get the tab next time, or I'll have you over next week, or you receive some sort of honor, and you're like kind of moving up in you know, status or in the ladders of you know, progress in the world. Like, if I have these people over, now I'm in their good graces, and now they're going to think well of me, and now I can move up. He says, don't invite people who can repay you. Uh, just bring people in, the poor, the lame, beggars and cripples, and he says, you will be blessed. Well, why? He says, because they cannot repay you. You're blessed because they cannot repay you. And it's like, wait a second. <laughs> uh, 
I was inviting the people who could repay me, so I'd be blessed by their repayment. But he says, blessed are you because they can't repay you. And there's a saying that doesn't actually happen in the Gospels, but is attributed to Jesus uh, in the book of Acts, um, after Jesus is resurrected and gone back to the Father's right hand, that he's, he said it's better to give than to receive. So invite people who can't repay you, because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So you, they're not going to repay you, and that's more blessed, that you're just giving to them with an open hand, not seeking to get something out of this for yourself. Plus, he says, they can't repay you, but God will. There's going to be reward for you in the future, that when you are dead and then you get resurrected, given a new body, when God resurrects you, he's going to reward you. So don't worry about getting repaid now, but focus on God's reward that he wants to give to you in the end. And we might think, like, well, of course, you know, that's nice. Like, yeah, you shouldn't be worried about what people can do for you, and then you only invite those people to your house. And we would think, like, how silly that they do that. Uh, but we shouldn't be, you know, quick to judge. Because who do we tend to hang out with? And who do we sit at lunch with? Usually it's people that are fun to be with, that are life-giving, that we can relate to. They like us and we like them. We get something out of it. This felt good to be with them. This wasn't a chore. This wasn't a duty. I just wanted to do this. It just felt good to have those people over to sit with them. And if we're honest, we sometimes send out invitations and hope that so-and-so doesn't say yes, right? Like sometimes it's like, oh, this is going to be such a great event. Oh, okay, but that person's there. So we tend to hang out with people that can repay us in some way. Usually it's maybe not like we're going to climb the social ladder or something, but it's like, uh, I just these are the people I want to hang out with. They're easy to hang out with. It's life-giving. It's fun. Uh, we just get to talk, and it's not you know hard and difficult. And so we can tend to do the same thing. And that's how we can miss out on what God's inviting us to. We choose getting over giving. That's how we miss out on God's invitations. We choose getting over giving. We ask, what's in it for me? We're worried about repayment. And because we are, we miss out on God's invitation. That He says, I'll reward you. That's what I want to do. Invite the people to your dinners and your hangouts or whatever you do. Sit by the person that is difficult for people to hang out with. Lastly, this is the part we read of the passage already. Verses 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And it's kind of almost like the guy's changing the topic. It's like Jesus like corrects the host, and you know the room's like kind of silent, like ooh, that uh, that wasn't very fun. And so someone's like, okay, let's let's get back to the topic. Isn't it going to be so blessed when we're all eating together in the kingdom of God? Or maybe we sometimes call it heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Or but God's intent is for His kingdom to come to earth, so it's not just like a disembodied state, but it's supposed to be God wants to renew the whole creation. His kingdom of heaven coming to earth and bringing them back together again. And so somebody's like, won't it be great when we're all eating together? Let's just, you know, let's just focus on that. Let's like not focus on critiquing one another. We're all going to eat together at God's kingdom party. You would think that was maybe safe to say, but uh, verse 16 says, But Jesus said to him, uh, so Jesus is like, let me, you know, think again. <laughs> won't it be great when we're all eating together at God's kingdom party? And Jesus is like, well, um, let me talk to you about that too for a little bit. Um, so he gives this parable. We heard it read earlier, uh, starting in verse 16. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. 
Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is more room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, uh, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So a host making a great banquet invites these people, and when it comes time for the day to have the banquet, they have all these excuses. No, we can't come, and here's the reason. And so he sends a servant, go and invite others. And notice the parallel uh, of what he just said. Here's the people you should be inviting to your dinner banquets. Uh, and then in this passage, who does this, the parable, uh, who does the guy in the parable invite? He bu- invites the blind, the crippled, the lame, the poor people who can't repay him. And all these excuses, you know, just they're insulting reasons not to come. It's kind of like, really? Like, uh, I told you when it was. And now it's all ready, and you're like, I bought a field, i got to go check it out. Isn't the field going to be there tomorrow? Like, could you plan it a little better? They're all really lame, insulting excuses. And Jesus is saying to them, God has invited you to his party. But now that it's here, you're giving lame excuses for not coming to it. You're going to miss out on it because of these really lame, insulting reasons. God is healing the hurting, but you don't like when he's doing it. God is exalting the humble, but you like exalting yourselves. God is giving a feast to those who cannot repay him, but you don't like the guest list. And so God's kingdom is happening. God is at work, and you're missing out on it because you have all these other focuses. You have all these lame, insulting excuses for why you don't want to get in on what God is doing, why you don't want to be part of his kingdom party. So it's, they have, uh, it's your rules, your status, your repayment. That's what you're focused on. You're just focused on your rules. You're focused on your status. You're focused on your repayment. Basically, they're focused on their kingdom. Your kingdom is what you're focused on. It's all about you. You have your rules set up. You have repayment you want from people. You want to climb the social ladder. You're focused on your status. And you're missing out on God's kingdom because you're centered on yourself. In God's kingdom, God is the king. And so you can't be centered on yourself. If you want to be part of that kingdom, you have to be centered on the one who is the king that you have to bow down to him and surrender to him. And so it's God's kingdom versus their kingdom. Now, if you think about making this personal, passages like this in the Gospels, uh, the four accounts of Jesus' life, it happens very often where people are missing out on what God is doing and what he's inviting them to. It's scary because it's like, these are the people who thought they were in. These are the people who thought, if God's kingdom is for anybody, it's for us, because we're the ones, we're following the rules, we've got these places of honor, we're teachers among the people, and look, we just ha- we throw these parties with all of us together, like, isn't it going to be great when all of us, all of us, you know, religious leaders who've got it all together can be in the kingdom of God together? But Jesus shows us how easy it is to miss out on what God is doing, and what he's inviting us to. These are religious people he's talking to, people who follow the rules, who do good, who give money and time, who have cleaned up lives, and the God they claim to be worshiping, trusting, loving, praying to, and waiting for shows up right in front of them, and they miss it. That They would all say, like, do you love God? Of course I do. Uh, do you worship God? Yeah, you, we worship the one true God. We're not like all the nations that worship all these false gods. We worship the one true God, and that God showed up in front of them, and they did not recognize him. Showed up in front of them in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. 
It's because they've got all boxed up. They think they know what God's kingdom is going to be like. They think they know what it's going to look like for God to show up. And it's because they've lost the heart of it all that they don't see it. They have a life centered on themselves. And only there's only one of two kingdoms we can live for. It's God's kingdom or our kingdom. There's just two kingdoms in the world. We can't be in between. You're in one or the other. If you're not accepting God's kingdom, well, by definition, you're living in a different kingdom. There's only one of two kingdoms we can live in, God or ours. And the question is, who's on the throne? And we should ask ourselves, am I missing out? Are we missing out? Is it possible that we've gotten so focused on kind of our way of doing things, our rules and how things work, that we and everything's scheduled and orderly in our lives or in our church, that it's like we're missing out on what God might want to do, what he is doing right in front of us. If it was possible then, it's possible now. And so the question is that we asked at the beginning, who's experiencing the benefits of God's kingdom? Who is God's kingdom for? And in this passage, Jesus says it's for the hurting, the humble, the have-nots. That just kind of worked out. You like all those H's? I was like, hurting and humble. How do I describe the third one? Ooh, have-nots. It just kind of came to me. Sorry. It's a lame gift, I know. But the first story, hurting people need to be healed. Second second part of the conversation, those who who are humble, who don't exalt themselves. And the last part, the have-nots, inviting people to the party who can't repay him. That's who God's kingdom is for. But it's not just people who are hurting and people who have not, who don't have things, but it's the humble hurting. It's the humble have not. That middle one connects it. Because it's not just everyone who's hurting won't automatically be in God's kingdom. It's not just everyone who has not will be in God's kingdom. It's those who humble themselves that they might be exalted. Because it's very easy to be a prideful, hurting person. It's very easy to be a prideful, poor person who doesn't have much. But God wants humble people that he can exalt. Then he says, when this kingdom comes... It's all going to be reversed. All you who are poor now, who are hungry now, who are weeping now, who are crying now, all you people that are like, this world is broken and I'm broken and I want to be out of it. God says that's going to be all turned upside down, that you're going to be on top in my kingdom because I'm going to take you, I'm going to exalt you, and I bring my healing to you. And really, the kingdom, Jesus wants to heal people who can't pay the medical bill. But I want all of you to have healing and I know you can't pay for it. You can't repay me what I'm going to do for you. And we need to be humble enough to admit that we're hurting and that we have not the means to pay for the healing that we so desperately need. We can't get better on our own. Everyone at God's party can't repay him. (laughs) There's none of us that can go into God's kingdom party and say like, oh, what's that? God let you in for free? You got discount tickets? Yeah, I paid my way in. I paid the whole thing. None of us can say that. It's impossible for us to pay God back, to repay him for what he wants to do for us. And everyone at God's party can't repay him. Everybody at God's party is exalted from the lowest place uh, into a place of honor. And everyone at God's party is healed. And God's kingdom was coming in Jesus' day. It's what they were praying for. And it's still coming now. It's already here, but not yet here fully. And God, Jesus, is inviting people into that kingdom. Surrender to me as your king, and you can be part of it. And so how do we miss out on God's kingdom invitation to us. We can fo- we focus on why I can't help. We have rules um, about, you know, this is my schedule, these are tasks, these are things I have to do, so we focus on why I can't help. Second, we focus on what others think of us, that we're very concerned that are people thinking well of me. Thirdly, we focus on what's in it for me. 